was a kid, Sundays were very different from the way they are today. The streets were quiet, shops were closed, people spent time with family and friends. Sometimes we might go to a movie, but mostly it was a very quiet day. I remember Sundays as a day to read or draw at the dining room table or play with my sisters. On Sundays now in Los Gatos, after church is over, I often walk over to the farmer's market and buy some vegetables. It's a very different world today. The stores are all open, the streets are filled with shoppers, cafes and restaurants do a thriving business, and there's very little difference between a Saturday and a Sunday. Our Sabbath takes place in the midst of another market day. It has always been such for the Jews in this country. I see them still walking to temple in San Jose, the men in their suits wearing their yarmulkes, carrying on their traditions in the midst of a secular market day. Now we as Christians are experiencing more and more of what it is to try to keep the Sabbath in a multicultural society. Today's lessons, at first glance, seem to deal with business. The prophet Amos, one of the earliest of the prophets, rails against the Jewish merchants who do not honor the Sabbath. Amos identified himself as a shepherd, and he lived in the 8th century before the Common Era. He's a prophet who speaks the divine judgment, warning the self-sufficient people of his time that they ignore the Holy One at their peril. He directs his proclamation of judgment to a variety of types of people, but in today's lessons, his words are directed to tradespeople whose unscrupulous pursuit of financial gain inflicts deadly suffering on the poor. His words portray the situation with dramatic vividness. He overhears the merchants in conversation, impatient for the passage of holy days to end, so they can resume their predatory practices on the grain market. These dishonest merchants deal with the human essential, the staff of life, yet they manipulate the scales to provide less bread for the money of the poor. We don't have to look too far to find parallels in our time. The recent revelation of the astronomical increase in the cost of epipens which are needed to save lives, is a clear example. Jesus said the poor are ever with us, and it's clear that greed is ever with us too. Amos does not mince words. He sees why the merchants do what they're doing. It's for wealth, for silver, for a pair of fancy sandals. They do not think of those whose lives are being ground up in the process. They do not consider the sweatshops, hazardous mines, and other deadly conditions of the working poor. Amos warns that God is keeping account and that God will prevail even though ignored in the self-sufficient materialism of that time and of ours. Today's gospel lesson from Luke initially appears to be about business dealings as well, but it is a very complex and difficult gospel lesson. In the story Jesus tells, the manager of a rich man is about to lose his job due to his incompetence. Facing an uncertain future, he devises a plan wherein he can ingratiate himself with his employer's creditors and later count on their goodwill 
towards him. He hopes they may help him live more comfortably than he would as a day laborer or as a beggar. He allows each of them to settle accounts cheaply by paying less than is due, and then comes a surprising turn of events. The rich man does not castigate the manager for shaving off his earnings. Rather, he commends the dishonest manager for his shrewdness. This is indeed an odd parable. Some of you may have heard of the Jesus Seminar, a group of New Testament scholars who went through the Gospels to try to determine what sayings actually came from Jesus and what sayings were added later by the church. They determined that the parable of the dishonest manager is probably directly from Jesus. But the seminar concluded that the sayings that follow the parable were probably added on later. They believe that the teaching, one cannot serve both God and wealth, or mammon, came from Jesus, but probably originated in another context. And so, this parable of the dishonest manager came directly from our Lord. The problem then becomes, why did Jesus tell the parable and what does it mean? <clears throat> Maneuvering in business is not the usual teaching of Jesus. And we have other stories that show that Jesus did not give much concern to money-making. He saw money as a stumbling block to the reign of God. You recall his response to the question about the coin and giving tribute money to the Roman emperor. <clears throat> Excuse me. And you remember his clear directives to the money changers in the temple when, they drove, when he drove them out. So the question remains... What did he mean with this story? What was he teaching his followers? I have puzzled over it and keep coming back to a word that is in the King James translation of the Bible where the parable is not known as the parable of the dishonest manager, but rather the parable of the unjust steward. The word is steward. What is a steward? In English, the word originates from sty ward, the person in charge of a pigsty, the overseer of a farm. All of us are stewards. We are stewards of this creation because we are temporary and the owner of everything is God. And we are stewards of the church in this time, just as our predecessors were stewards in their times. The steward in the story is in a state of crisis. He had done a poor job and it was catching up with him. But before we dismiss him as an inept and reprehensible person, let's stop and think about ourselves. It's true that he was a poor steward. If we think of the state of the planet given into our care, that probably could be said of most of us, of my generation at least. Certainly, as a race, the human race, we have done some pretty serious damage. We have not taken care of the earth as we should have. We will be thinking more about stewardship in the weeks ahead. Here at St. Luke's, we're about to embark on our stewardship program, and we will reflect on our own stewardship. Traditionally, the church asks us, 
to demonstrate our stewardship in three ways, by the giving of our time, our talent, and our treasure toward the reign of God. The tithe is 10%, and that is the biblical standard of giving. It's something toward which we strive and hope to reach. It's a goal, which some have likened to a perfect score in bridge, or golf, or a perfect BMI. This is a time to ask ourselves some hard questions. In the stewardship of our lives, do we give God 10% of what we have, time-wise, talent-wise, and treasure-wise? It's a serious challenge. Some may give 10% in one area and 2% in another. There may be times in which it is not possible to do a full tithe. Some of us may feel like the dishonest steward who felt he had to alter the accounts just to survive. And the surprising thing about the parable is the response of the employer toward the dishonest steward. Just as God gives sunshine and rain to the just and the unjust, the employer commended the dishonest steward for his shrewdness. So rather than feel guilty about not measuring up, I think the parable instructs us to learn from the steward, to take comfort in what we have done, the ways in which we have tried, even if we miss the mark, but to press on and try and reach the goal. Both the lesson from Amos and the lesson from Luke challenge us. They urge us to get right with God now while we can. All of us need to take stock of our lives and have a come-to-Jesus moment. Our gospel message tells us that when we do, while we may expect a harsh judgment, we will find the surprising grace and surpassing kindness that are the hallmarks of our Savior. Amen. Amen.